It's my pleasure to ask you, invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians this morning as we continue our study in this book. We're starting now chapter 3 of these three chapters, and I trust God is going to work uh, in us this morning through his word, and been praying for that. This, of course, is a special day for our church today. Uh, today, uh, we are going to set aside uh, for the ministry of the elder both Cody Snyder and Tom Johnson. And so you notice the order of our service is a little bit different because of what we're going to do at the end. We're going to have a wonderful time to be able to pray for those men as we install them into that office. And I'm excited for our church. I think this is a, one of those days that we mark down in the history of our church that God continues to raise up men uh, to serve him and to serve his people and that we have the great honor to be able to set them aside. And so I'm excited and delighted to be able to do that today. And while you're finding your way to 2 Thessalonians, I would like to just remind you to continue to be in prayer for Betty Jo Cooper, who, of course, uh, lost her uh, husband of 56 years, Roy, last Saturday. And uh, she continues to need uh, our strength uh, given to her through prayer and asking God to work in her life. And so uh, will you please remember uh, the Cooper family? And so here we are now in in, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The sermon will be a little bit different this morning. Uh, in that it, this is what we call an ordination sermon. So um, I'm going to be, in many ways, not just preaching to you, but in particular preaching to both Cody and Tom. And so it would be helpful if I actually knew if you guys are here. So uh, is Cody here this morning? Where you? I can't see you. There he is. Okay, where, where are you going to be? So I, all right, over there. I need to gaze at you and stare you down. Tom, where are you at? You're over here somewhere? Okay, are you both back row Baptists? Interesting, okay. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> all right, uh, well, here we are in uh, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Hear now the word of God. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word in which we can consider this morning. You declare that your your word is the bread of heaven by which our souls are nourished. And so we simply do not come to an ancient letter written by an obscure man. We come to what we believe to be the revelation of the Lord of heaven and earth, the one true God. And so we are desirous this morning to hear from you. And so we pray, as the psalmist prayed long ago, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It was on a a hot and humid day in Massachusetts in 1806 when a college student named Samuel Mills and four other college students from Williams College were out in the field and they were debating the theology of missions. And at that time, a sudden storm arose, and the pouring rain and a nearby thunderstrike encouraged these five students to seek shelter. They found shelter on the backside of a haystack. And as they waited out the storm, they decided to pray that God would use them for the cause of missions. And so they prayed in the midst of that thunderstorm. In fact, they were so deeply impacted that they began to ask God that he might even use them mightily for his splendor to the nations, that they might be used to reach the nations. 
What's interesting is in 1806, of course, America is a new nation, about 30 years now. There was not a single missions agency in America at this time. In fact, there was not even a single American missionary uh, any, anywhere. And so the, the fact that these individuals, these young people around 20 years of old, age, were praying for this was unprecedented because it wasn't even happening at this time in America. The, their biographer says the brevity of the shower, the strangeness of the place of refuge, and the peculiarity of their topic of prayer all took hold of their imaginations. These five decided to continue to pray, asking God what, they, what he would do to have them reach the nations. That meeting has gone down in church history as the Haystack Prayer Meeting. Within four years, these young individuals would organize the first American mission-sending agency, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. Uh, one author says it was a seminal event for the development of American Protestant missions. This mission board, which would last hundreds of years, would go on and send thousands of individuals to foreign lands to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of their missionaries that they sent, in fact, the first missionary they sent, was a man named Adoniram Judson in 1812. He and his wife, Ann Judson, along with another man named Luther Rice, would set sail about six years after this mission board was formed, and they would end up in Burma. Um, once they got there to, to Burma, while well, their way, by the way, uh, on their way to Burma, they were sent as Congregationalists, but they were, in their study of God's word, they became convinced of a Baptist belief. That is, that baptism is properly understood as a believer receiving baptism through the process of immersion in water. And so they converted from being a Congregationalist to being Baptist on their months-long voyage to Burma. They got off to, in Burma in 1813, not knowing a single person in Burma, not being able to speak the language, and they decided out of their own conscience that they had to resign all the support they had raised because they were no longer Congregationalist, but they were Baptist. Luther Rice would spend three weeks in Burma, get back on a boat, sail back to America, and in 1814, he would begin to knock on Baptist church doors and telling them, you ought to support your missionaries, the Judsons, in Burma. And these Baptist churches would then form a meeting in 1814, which is known as the Triennial Convention, which of course was the predecessor to the Southern Baptist Convention for which this church belongs. The Southern Baptist Convention would form the International Mission Board, which would go on to be one of the largest Protestant mission-sending agencies ever seen on God's good earth. So my question to you is what would inspire five 20-year-olds to say, God, do whatever it takes to use us for the cause of missions? And what would inspire tens of thousands of people to raise their hand like Isaiah of old and say, send me, Lord, wherever you may, I will go for the cause of the gospel. Of course, this is not a unique desire amongst these individuals. It's certainly a desire the apostle Paul had. Notice how he begins 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us, what? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And so he begins to pray, 
and ask for prayer. God, will you take the word and will you let it go and abound and run ahead and conquer and, and, and win its victory wherever it may go. May the word of the Lord triumph there in Thessalonica. May it triumph in Burma. May it triumph in Hamilton. May it one day triumph in Lovettsville. May it continue to go forth. May people fall in love with the Bible. May people cherish the word of God. May they savor the Bible like honey. May it be more precious to them than much gold. May teens cherish the Bible more than music and video games and movies. May adults cherish the Bible more than box scores and presidential elections. May Hamilton Baptist Church cherish the Bible, the word of the Lord. May soon-to-be Pastor Cody and Elder Tom be committed always to faithful biblical explanation and application. Church, pray for that. Pray that the word of the Lord would triumph. Pray that it might have power. As we consider our first of our four points this morning, the power of the word. He says, may the word of the Lord speed ahead. How's that going to happen? Well, notice he says, pray for us. Pray for us, what? That the word of the Lord would go forth. And so what Paul is assuming is that when he goes and he speaks and he teaches, he's not bringing his own words. He's not bringing his own ideas. He's not bringing his cultural ideas. He's bringing God's words. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, Paul would write earlier to this church in chapter 2 and verse 13, you heard the word of God from us. And when Paul speaks, he's saying, you are actually not hearing my words, but you're hearing God's words. He would say in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right? So we hear, we get faith from hearing the word of Christ. How will we hear the word of Christ? Well, he tells us, how are they to hear unless someone preaches? So when someone comes, to the degree in which they are faithfully explaining God's word and applying it to our life, we are not simply hearing a man talk, but we are actually hearing the very words of Christ. Christ is heard through faithful preaching and teaching. And so my brother Tom, when you teach Sunday school, and Cody, when, when you preach the gospel, when you are doing so to the degree in which it's faithful to God's word, please understand, people are hearing the word of the Lord from you. And my brothers and sisters, when you sit under preaching and teaching, and I know I say this all the time, but it's a passion of my heart, I'll say it again. You're not coming to be entertained. This is not a show. You are coming to hear from God. We are to come with the hard attitude that Samuel has taught us long ago that we would come and we would say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And when it's all over and we go our separate ways, the, the predominant question in our mind is not, did you like the service? The predominant question in our hearts ought to be, did you hear from God? And if you heard from God, what then should change in your life? What should you obey? What should you think? What should you do in response to God's word? It was Peter who was summoned by the Holy Spirit to speak to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And before he was able to preach, Cornelius said to Peter, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Tell us 
what God has said to you that we may obey. This is how we are to welcome God's word, not passively, actively seeking after it when it is proclaimed to you by a man of the word. So consider secondly now, not only is there power in the word, there is a man who brings it. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us, why? Because we're going to bring God's word. This is why I want you to pray for us. Pray for, because Paul's referring to Silas and Timothy along with himself. They're going to come and bring God's word. And in fact, once again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 4, Paul says that they had been entrusted with the gospel. I like that, that phrase, entrusted with the gospel. It was on September 11th, 2017, just a little over uh, three years ago. It was a Monday morning. Uh, Leger and I had just finished our foster care training. And I received a phone call around 10 a.m. from a social worker. And the social worker said, we have just taken a baby into custody. We would like to place her in your home. And so I raced home around 11 a.m. A government worker pulled down our driveway. She got, opened the back of her car. She took out a one-month-old baby, walked into her house. Within a half an hour, she had driven away, and there was, there was a baby in our home. Okay? I went to work Monday morning, just normal Monday, by noon, I had a baby. And we thought this was awesome. I mean, you could get babies without a pregnancy? This is fantastic, okay? We should have done this sooner, okay? But there's this baby. I mean, off she goes. Okay, have fun with the baby. What was happening? Well, we are being entrusted with the care of this child to guard her, to protect her, to nurture her, to love her. Paul says, I've been entrusted with the gospel. I'm gonna guard it. I'm gonna protect it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to announce it. In fact, he would say in 15 years later in 2 Timothy, Timothy is now a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. He would say in chapter 1 and verse 4, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then in 2 Timothy, uh, uh, excuse me, in chapter 2, he would say, what you heard from me, again talking to Timothy, what you heard from me, that is the gospel, entrust to faithful men. So see, you see what's happening here. Paul says, I entrusted you with the gospel. Now you entrust it to other people with the, the gospel, and then they'll go on and entrust it to others. They'll equip those men, and they'll keep entrusting it with others, the next generation, the next generation. And that's been happening for 2,000 years. That's why you're a Christian. Because someone has come and proclaimed the gospel to you, a continuous gospel proclamation now for two millennia. As the kingdom advances, as lives are changed, as sinners are saved, as churches are planted. And so I tell you, Hamilton Baptist Church, you are in that lineage. This is part of your story. You have been entrusted with the gospel, therefore jealously guard it and boldly proclaim it. And yet in ordaining Cody this morning, and Tom, this church, which I believe is authorized by God, will set those men aside. And in particular, we are going to entrust them with the gospel. Men, we are entrusting you to protect the gospel and to share it and to become an expert in it and to live by it and to apply it. We are trusting you not to neglect the word of the Lord, not to neglect the parts you don't like. It seems to me in our day, so many ministries are just kind of like strolling through the meadow of scripture, picking the flowers they like and ignoring the ones they don't. We are entrusting you to proclaim to us the entire counsel of God's word, especially the difficult parts, especially the hard parts. We need to understand them as well. We are trusting you to shepherd with the gospel. 
when you interact over the phone and in the living room and over email and in small groups and in the hospital, I ask you, what are you going to give people? What are you going to share with them? What are you going to give them to protect them from the deceitfulness of sin? What are you going to give them to help them fight for faith? I tell you, they, we need the word of the Lord. When we are confused, give us the word of God. When we are arrogant, give us the word of God. When we are frightened, give us the word of God. When we are suffering, give us the word of God. When we are dying, give us the word of God. Our mouths are full of ashes in our own wisdom. We need the word of God. And when we do so, we actually exalt the Lord of the word. When we have the word of God, it's not simply we're committed to a book, we're committed to the one who reveals himself through this book. For Paul would tell the Corinthians, while I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'll tell you in particular, Cody, what I've shared before, and I've been somewhat you know, ridiculed for doing it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyways. Um, I, I was ordained in November of year 2000, so just, just almost 20 years ago. And now in 20 years of ministry, I have recognized, and you will recognize, brother, that one of the greatest dangers to the ministry of a pastor is that you will preach in the same pulpit or in strange days in a grassy field, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, to the same people over and over and over again. And you will feel a temptation to be innovative you will feel a temptation to be clever. You will feel a temptation, I need to tell them something new. You'll feel that pressure. I feel that pressure. We all feel that pressure. And I, I want to just once again reaffirm in your heart, brother, that the pastoral ministry is a ministry of reminding, not innovating. It is a ministry of preaching Christ, teaching Christ, reminding your people of Christ, it was Peter who said, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So I will make every effort to see that after my death, you will always be able to remember these things. So Cody, Tom, remind them who Christ is. Remind them what Christ has done. Remind them of the promises Jesus has made. Remind them of what we are in Christ. Remind them of what we were when we are outside of Christ. Remind them that one day we will be united with Christ. Every time you stand to preach and teach God's word, preach Christ. In particular, Cody, never preach a sermon without preaching Christ. What makes a sermon Christian is Christ. We need to hear about Jesus. And now, church, what do you do? Well, you pray that they do this. You pray that these men and all who would take this office hold fast to the trustworthy word, that they would live lives that give credibility to it. So how do I pray for Tom? How do I pray for Cody? Well, one of the greatest ways is you can just take that list of elder qualifications in Titus 1 or 1 Timothy 3 and use that as your prayer list. You pray, God, will you make Cody a one-woman man? You pray, God, will you, will you help Cody's children to be faithful to you? You pray, oh God, will you, will you help Tom to be self-controlled and a lover of what is good and self-discipline? You pray that they would endure in the ministry. Because the reality is, is not everyone appreciates the word. The word has opponents. 
as you see thirdly, the opposition to the word. There is opposition to the word. For Paul says in verse 2, does he not? The second prayer request is pray that, that uh, we would be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Right? And so you, you're not surprised, we talk about this frequently, that there are those who oppose the word of the Lord. Jesus says the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. And so there is opposition to God's, to God's word, to God's people. And we, we, could, we could, just looking into the future, we kind of see that opposition is only going to grow. We already begin to experience it. Some of you know, perhaps teenagers, you know that to be a Christian means to lose friends. It means to be mocked at school. Some of you are perhaps aware to be a Christian means to be skipped over by a promotion. That's already here. The world does not want God's word. The world stands in opposition to it. Cody, this may come as a surprise, but when you become a pastor, you will soon recognize that is not considered by the world the coolest job to have. They think it's weird. Okay. They think it's odd. And in doing so, and it being weird, we link arms with the prophets of old. And even our Lord Jesus Christ enduring the opposition of the world. And yet, sadly, the opposition is not just on the outside, but it is on the inside as well. Notice what Paul says there in verse 2. He says, not all have faith. I think Paul is not referring to the world. That's kind of a redundant statement. Of course the world doesn't have faith. I think he's referring to actually people connected to the church. That there are people within the church that don't have faith. They say they're Christians, but they're actually not. And they will stand in opposition to God's word. I believe that's what Paul's speaking of because he uses a very uh, interesting word that in my Bible is translated wicked. Now if you have a different translation, there's translations all over the place on that word. It's, a, it's only used one time in the, in the New Testament. It's the word atopos, atopos. Some of you have heard of like a topographical map. Topos is the Greek word for place. You put a in front of a Greek word, you negate it. And so atopos, literal, a literal rendition, will be out of place. People of no place. And what Paul is saying is whenever God's people gathered, there are some who are atopos. Some that are out of place. They may not even know it. Some of you, I, I, I've heard your testimony. You've attended church for years and years and years and you thought you were a believer. You thought you were committed to Christ. And one day someone's preaching or someone's teaching and they once again tell you that old, old story that God created all things, created you to love him and to obey him. And yet you, along with all of the rest of humanity, have gone your own way, have given yourself over to sin and self-rule, have rejected God's rule in your life, and therefore God will punish you. God will judge you in what the Bible calls an eternity in hell. And yet out of his great love, he sent his son into this world who took on flesh, became a man, lived a perfect life as our substitute. He lived the life we should have lived and haven't. And then he died upon the cross in our place, once again as our substitute, bearing the punishment not for his sin, for he had none but for ours. Three days later, he rose physically, bodily, historically from the dead to demonstrate to all who care to look that the tomb is empty, that God has received his payment, and now he calls for all people everywhere to trust in him through faith and repentance. For the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Someone told you about God, man, Christ, response. You heard the gospel. And some of you, after hearing that thousands of times, and yet one day you heard it and you believed. 
maybe I pray that this might even happen for one here or two here or even someone watching on our live stream, perhaps far away. Of course, not all surrender, right? Not all come to faith. Some remain in their opposition from within the church. That's why much of Paul's ministry was given to protect the word of the Lord from those who distort it. He would tell the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. You see what Paul's warning this group of elders in the Ephesian church, that the major role for an elder is to guard the scripture from those who would subtly distort it. Of course, I would hasten to add the wickedness and opposition to God's word is not simply outside of us. There remains wickedness within us. And that we might pray that God would deliver us from our own wickedness. How often, it seems like on a weekly basis, you just look at the news. It seems like another pastor is failing, another pastor is failing, another pastor is failing, one after another, falling into one sin or another, being disqualified. And I, I, would, I would gladly announce the, the greatest problem in my ministry is myself, is my own sin. And so certainly pray that we be delivered from opponents on the outside, but also from the opponent within us. Pray for Cody that he might have humility. Pray for Tom's prayer life and his self-sacrifice. Pray that these men would not make a wreck of their ministry and bring reproach upon God and his church. Rather, pray that the word would be victorious. And so consider lastly this morning, point number four, the, the victory of the word. And while you're considering that, guys, should I ha- grab a handhold mic? Would that be better? Nope. Okay, we'll continue with what we got. The victory of the word. He says there in verse one, may the word of the Lord speed ahead and be honored. So he's imagining the word as a runner. The word of the Lord is a runner and he wants it to be glorified in honor like an athlete is glorified when he's recognized as better than all the rest. So Paul says, listen, I want the word of God to race on. I want it to be crowned superior to all the competitors. I want it to receive the glory that it deserves. I want it to be seen as superior to all theories and worldviews and philosophies and all the other words. This is what he's praying for. I, I, I ran, in high school, I ran track for a couple years. I, did, I was a long-distance runner. I did cross-country and track. I ran the two-mile and track. That was my, my event. Two-mile is uh, eight laps around the track. Now, uh, I never won a race. You won't be surprised to hear. Um, and, in fact, I never come close to running a race. I never had a goal, really. It was never my goal to win a race. I knew that was beyond my ability. My goal in running the two-mile was always the same. I didn't want to be lapped. Okay. There's nothing more humiliating when someone comes up from behind you and says, hello again, as they run right by you when you're racing against them. I said, so that's all I was trying. If I could just stay ahead, that no one's going to lap me. Well, we look at the word of the Lord, and it doesn't look like it's running very fast. Looks like it's out for a jog, maybe. And all the other worldviews are flying. I mean, things are changing in this world very, very quickly. And not, not in a good direction, I think. And we might look around, we might even look at our own family, certainly in our country, in the world, and it says, it doesn't look like the word of the Lord is winning this race. You might even look in your own heart. And you say, well, amidst all the competitors, the word of the Lord is like a jogger in the midst of sprinters. 
And yet what Paul is encouraging us and asking us to pray for is saying, listen, you watch at the end of the age, and when that bell rings, signifying there is one lap left to go, right? You watch the word of the Lord, though you may think it's far behind. It will take off, and it will fly by all the other competitors, and it will receive its glory as it wins the race. That's going to happen. But let's pray that it happens as God invites us into this work. In fact, I think if you had eyes to see it, you would already see the word of the Lord is winning. And the news doesn't talk about it, but it is winning. It is spreading. It is going ahead. I will remember for all my days in summer of 2006, I was sitting in a village called Yenamalan on a tiny island in the South Pacific, just a dot on the map. And they're surrounded by about 250 uh, villagers, all, every single one living in a grass hut with a dirt floor and not a piece of furniture in their home. I was sitting amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ, in the middle of nowhere, just a dot on an island in the middle of the ocean. These people were some of the last people in the world to give up cannibalism just a generation or two earlier. And now they had given their life to Christ. And I will remember sitting in a plastic chair with a cup of coffee in my hand, you won't be surprised to hear, and a Bible in my lap, a volcano erupting about five miles in the distance, and behind the volcano, the vast Pacific Ocean, as far as the eye could see. And I remember reading Isaiah 61 and verse 11, when the prophet says, as the earth will cause vegetation to sprout and as the garden will bring forth what is sown in it so the Lord the God of heaven and earth will cause righteousness and praise to sprout before all nations you see that promise God says I will cause just as vegetation grows I will cause my praise and my righteousness to sprout forth amongst every nation and there I was in, the, in a hut at Yenamalan seeing God's faithfulness to his word. The word of the Lord will win this race. The gospel will reach all peoples so that all nations may praise the Lord. Let us pray for that to happen. This is what Paul's asking. We have pray for God-empowered preaching and God-empowered listening so that when we hear the message, we hear it as the word of the Lord. I mentioned last week, I think it's utterly strange for you all to come out to this day and Sunday after Sunday and once again listen to a monologue on an ancient text, right? You're coming here, some guy's going to talk to you for half an hour, 40 minutes upon something that was written 2,000 years ago and you gather week after week and you love it, right? That's odd. Most people rather go to the dentist, right? Anything but that. Why? Why do you love it? Why do you come? Because God has done a work in your heart. That's not you naturally. You ought, to, you ought to hear the Bible preach, and you ought to find the joy in it, and then you ought to celebrate, I love the Bible. Thank you, God. You have opened my heart to see the wonder of it and the majesty of it because left to ourselves, Scripture is just another religious opinion, like Everest is just another hill in the distance you got to pray, God, I need you today. 
Pray for Cody. He needs you when he preaches. Pray for Tom. He needs you when he teaches uh, God's word. That they would handle the word faithfully. That they would preach boldly. That they would overcome doubt and disbelief. You ought to pray that God would regenerate people. Pray that God would strengthen people. Pray that God would send revival. Pray that God would influence our conversations. Just as we've already established, pray like the psalmist. Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things in your law. Do Do you not have that tendency in your life. I have. I read the Bible and sometimes I just push it away as if nothing had happened, as if I had not encountered God and heard him speak to me. I think we all have that in our hearts. We need to pray, God, your word is wonderful, but I miss it so often. My heart is so dull and I don't have an appetite for your word. Help me. I don't want to miss you. I want to hear it, work that in my life, and seek after it, and read it, meditate on it, consider it, and discuss it, and come home after a day of chewing on God's word, just hiding away in your heart and thinking about it, and your, your wife says, how was your day, sweetheart? And re- rather than moaning about this or that, you could say, you know what, honey, I've been thinking about all day how faithful Christ has been to me how he has cared for me and protected me and taken care of me. And you put your kids to bed at night and, they, and, you, and you say, you know what, sweetheart, you know what daddy's been thinking about all, all day? I've been thinking about how God protects us from the evil one and how he keeps my faith and won't let me go. And he'll always hold me in his arms of love. And you might have these little impromptu Christ-honoring conversations with those that are so important to you that we would share the gospel. If we find it glorious, we will talk about it. We'll speak to our neighbors about it and our friends. We'll proclaim it to those who need it. And some of us don't do so because we're afraid that people won't, uh, won't receive it. But look what Paul says there in verse one. One last time, look back at the text. He says, so then brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. What's that last phrase? As happened among you. You can read of that count in Acts 17 when Paul simply said, I reasoned to them from the scriptures, right? There was no drama. There was no rock and praise band, right? There There was no fog machine, okay? He came with the word and he taught it to them, right? I reasoned to them from scripture. You say, really, just sharing scripture, sharing the Bible, that will change people's lives? What happened to you? That's how you're a Christian. That's how I'm a Christian. It happened for a bunch of pagans in a town called Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, and it continues to happen over and over and over again. I was listening uh, a week or so ago about a pastor who's given his testimony. He came to faith as a football player in high school. He's an underclassman, first day of practice, an upperclassman walk up to him, football player, and he said, hey, man, you don't know me, uh, but uh, this year I'm going to share with you about Jesus. Do you want that to happen now or later? (laughs) So it's going to happen, you know, so just letting you know that's happening sometime. When when do you want it? You can schedule it. We could do it right now. We could do it later. He said, okay, let's do it now. That uh, senior classman, uh, upperclassman shared with him the gospel. That man believed right there on the end of the football field. He's a pastor now preaching God's word. As happened among you that we might share God's word, that more people will be saved, that more will be welcomed uh, in, into God's kingdom, that we would proclaim it like the 
the thirst-quenching water of life it is, that is satisfying bread of heaven that it is, that, that it's sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. And that we would pray that our brothers Cody and Tom would be faithful to it. And so will you join me in prayer even as we do so now? Father, we, we thank you for your word and the treasure that it is to us. We are delighted to have it. We're delighted to hear you speak to us through it. And Father, we pray that you would always, in your faithfulness to Hamilton Baptist Church, allow us to be a people of your word. Now for 131 years, you have had a people called Hamilton Baptist Church. May we always, despite the opposition of this world and in our own hearts, remain true to believing what you have said, even as our world screams against us to not do so. Help us to be faithful and help your word, we pray, here in Hamilton, Percival, Round Hill, Bluemont, Berryville, and Leesburg, Lovettsville, Guatemala and Ghana, Kurdistan, Papua New Guinea. Father, may your word speed ahead and be honored as the word of the Lord, for truly it is. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the uh, elders, uh, our current elders, if you'll come and join me up here. And uh, I'm going to ask John if you'll come and